Father God, we thank you so much for today, Father, as we, as we begin looking at your word, Father. We thank you for it. We praise you for instructing us, Father, through various facets of life, whether it's how we deal with our family and now as we turn to how we deal with our finances and our, and our giving. Father, we praise you for speaking to us through your word. Father, we thank you for the fact that you came and sent your son to die in our place as well so we can have a relationship with you. Father, I pray that as we look at your word now, Father, that you speak through me. I pray that my lips or your lips, my heart is your heart, Father. And that as we listen to your word, Father, that we aren't just hearers of the word, but we are doers of your word as well. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, as you, as Pastor Barry already alluded to, we are in our... Uh, uh, series on, on giving, our stewardship series, and you can see right there we're, we're talking about giving God's way, you know, what we give, how we give, and why we give. And last week, as you know, Dr. John Guest was here, and he, he talked about why we give, and one of the things we looked at was 2 Corinthians 9. And as many of us left here, I know I was encouraged as well as, as was really why we give, but the next question, as many of you have received your pledge cards as we do our in-gathering next week, our annual in-gathering, the question is, is, is how much? How much do we put on that card? How much do we give back to God? Well, let me just encourage you that how we give determines how much we give. I'll say that again. How we give determines how much we give. See, it doesn't do us justice just to discuss how much we give if we don't look at the heart of the issue. We'll never be able to give the way God wants us to give if we don't look at the heart. It's crucial that the spirit of our giving is right. Then the amount of our giving will follow. In other words, we can't talk about the amount without the spirit. It's a matter of the heart. Some of you will look at that card, the, the, uh, your in-gathering card, your pledge for next year, and you'll say, how much? And I'm telling you this morning, how you give determines how much you give. It's a matter of the heart, and that's why we, we had our passage that uh, we looked at, and you have your Bibles or service sheets. We're, we're in uh, Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. That's why we chose this passage, because it's a matter of the heart. We see there in verse 16, that it was a man, in Mark's gospel, it says a rich young ruler. But apparently this man was very wealthy. And the rich young ruler asked the fundamental question, teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? People have been asking this for years. What must I do to get eternal life? What, what thing can I do? You see, this man had too much spiritual pride in his life to acknowledge that he was sinful and that his whole life fell short. He, he desired for eternal life, but... He, he had no hatred for his sins, no, no, no admission of a heart that needed cleansing. He was therefore looking to God of what he still needed to do as opposed to what God needed to do for him. What must I do? See, like most of the Jews of this day, this man was, I'm sure, a devout Jew. Following the law was what you're supposed to do. Follow the law perfectly. He believed that his destiny was in his own hands, as many people think today. 
My destiny is in my own hands. So he gathered money. So what his thing was. He had lots of money. Felt like he could rule and do that. So what he was looking from Jesus was just another commandment, another ritual, another obligation to make himself acceptable to God. How does Jesus respond? I love how Jesus responds. In verse 17, he says, There's only one good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments, he says. In verse 18, the man says, which ones? The man inquired. Then Jesus responds by giving him six of the ten commandments. He says, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And love your neighbor as yourself. The man says, I've kept all these, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus responds, if you wish to be perfect, go sell your possessions. Give to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven. Then follow me. I have to understand the word perfect here is the word teleos, which means complete or mature. Jesus was saying, if you truly desire eternal life, you've got to be perfect in every way. Go sell your possessions. The man says, I've already done that. I've already already held to these, these six commandments that you've already talked about. What you have to understand, church, from this passage is this man may have been perfect in following six of those ten commandments, but he failed at the very first one. Have no other gods before me. And that's exactly what Jesus was asking. You see, this man's money was his God. And Jesus says, go sell all that, then come follow me. If you want to be perfect in every way, don't have any other gods before me. Understand this man's willingness to, to follow that command would not merit salvation, but it would have been an internal change that would have resulted in an external activity. An internal change that would have resulted in an outward expression. Jesus was essentially asking, listen, Who's going to be your Lord, me or your money? Who's going to be your Lord in your life, me or your money? He challenges with his wealth to force him to admit what was most valuable to him. Many of us are struggling in here in the church, especially in our culture, with money. Money has become our God. And we struggle with that. And everywhere you look, it doesn't take a genius to figure out. Everywhere you look, our culture is inundated with having more, getting more, Owning more, nicer car, nicer house, more income, nicer things, bigger activities, more entertainment, more vacations. Money has become a god to many people. What's interesting about this is the man wanted eternal life. Jesus says, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, then come follow me. This command was actually quite capable of being followed. It's not that he could not follow it, it's that he would not follow it. See, he had an issue of the heart when it came to giving. So what what happens when the young man heard this? He went away sad because he had great wealth. He wanted to gain salvation. He went to Jesus looking for salvation, and he went away empty-handed. He was sad because it was something he couldn't do, struggled with it. 
Many of us, as we talk about money and giving and stewardship, come into church thinking, I don't want to talk about this because the church is just going to ask for more money. And we're going to walk away sad because that's not the point. Many of us have made money our God, and we struggle with this, even coming in here this, over the next few weeks. How much do I give? That's why Jesus says in verse 23, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to, a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because people don't ever really want to give up their possessions. People don't want to ever really give up their money. It's hard to do this. It's very difficult to do this, especially in our culture. But isn't it wonderful that things that are difficult in life, things that are, that are hard, things that go against our, our very nature, our very human nature, isn't it wonderful, isn't it a blessing to know that God gives us the power to do so? What a joy that is, church. Knowing the very thing that goes against our nature, God gives us the power to do so. That's why in verse 26, Jesus says, with this, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. We can't do it on our own. With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. And Zacchaeus was evidence of that. If you remember the story, if you have your Bibles, we're at Luke, Luke 19, Luke 19, the story of Zacchaeus. For those of you who don't remember the story, maybe you'll remember, I always think of the song growing up as a kid. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, was a wee little man, and he climbed up on a sycamore tree. Remember that? Zacchaeus was a, uh, was a tax collector, a rich tax collector, and he was a short man. And so what does he do? He climbs a tree in Jericho because he sees Jesus coming towards him. Very wealthy man. And Jesus sees him, and in Luke 19, says, Jesus saw him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. And when Jesus called him, he hurried down quickly. He hurried down from the tree and received him gladly. Jesus wanted to stay at his house. And then all the people around him were like, Jesus, why are you staying with, with Zacchaeus? Why are you staying with the tax collector? He's a sinner. Why are you with him? And Jesus is saying, I came to save the lost. I came for the sinners. And spontaneously, Zacchaeus does pretty much exactly what Jesus is asking this man to do with his possessions. He says, Zacchaeus says, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, Zacchaeus says. And if I defrauded anyone, I will pray four times as much, Zacchaeus says. So he's going to repay anybody he defrauded four times as much and then give away half his possessions voluntarily. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Understand Zacchaeus was not saved because of his newfound generosity. Rather, his newfound generosity was evidence that he was truly saved. Zacchaeus had a renewed heart. It was an inward change resulted in an outward action. Similar, similar story. The rich young ruler and Zacchaeus, totally different result. Why? Because it was an inward change. It was a heart issue. Zacchaeus learned how to give. Then he figured out how much to give. If we're looking to give back to God, there must be a rejection or renunciation of ourselves. If we don't reject ourselves and embrace Jesus, we don't experience biblical Christianity. You know, we, we try to attain certain levels in life, social status, how much we have, what our, nice, what our car is, how our house is, what kind of vacations we drive. And 
To God, none of that really matters. The only thing that God sees when he looks at the church is a division between those whose life has been changed by God and those whose life have not been changed by God. You may be coming to Jesus asking all the right questions, how much should I give? But Jesus is saying, you need a radical transformation in your life. Understand, God doesn't want a nickel from you before he wants you to give your life to him. That's way more important. It's not, about a, it's not about just the ritual of giving. It's about the heart. He wants you to give fully your life to him. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he came, he died for all. 2 Corinthians 5. That those who live should no longer what? Live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Once we have an inward change, a life committed to him, we could have a resulting outward action like Zacchaeus. And then t- until that time comes, forget it. We can't give God's way anyhow until we have that inward change. But once we have that inward change, for those of us that have given their, our lives to Christ and are totally committed to him, then we can give God's way. So how do we give God's way? Four things. They're going to come up on the screen. Four reasons. Four ways that we give God's way. The first off is we give cheerfully. We give cheerfully. We looked at this last week in 2 Corinthians 9. It's 9-7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. For those of us whose lives are, are changed by Christ, who have an inward renewal, an outward action, we give cheerfully. Not reluctantly, not out of the guilt. We don't give because we feel like if we put money or give money back to God, that somehow that will in, inherit eternal life as this rich young ruler was thinking. We give cheerfully, joyfully, knowing that he's given to us, so we're going to give freely back to him to continue in his ministry. We don't give out of reluctance or hesitation. If I were to present my, a gift to my wife, and I said, Deb, here is a gift to you. And then she opens it up, and it's, it's this wonderful necklace. And I said, I hope you enjoy that. I hope you understand all the sacrifice that I went through to get you that necklace. Understand that we will not be able to eat for about a week. Tell the children all the entertainment has been cut off in our house. But listen, I hope you enjoy that. But boy, what a sacrifice I had to do to get that for you. I'll see you in two weeks because i got to work twice as much. We don't give that way. We give cheerfully. We can give back to God cheerfully, wonderfully, knowing how much he's given to us. I also don't write checks to, my, to pay my bills the same way I write to God. I don't get my bills, my gas bill, and I go, honey, the gas bill's here. We can write that check now. I don't do that. But when it comes to church, we can do that. Why? Because we don't have to give out of, out of guilt. We don't give out of, out of compulsion. We give cheerfully. So we give cheerfully. The second thing, as a, as a committed person whose lives are totally committed to Christ, whose heart has been changed, we give generously. We give generously. We looked at this verse last week as well, 2 Corinthians 9, 11. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. 
And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. We give generously. We give out of an abundance, not how much we can keep. Interesting, when you look at the, the New Testament church, when you look at the, the, first, the first couple that died in the New Testament, who was it? Ananias and Sapphira. Why did they die? Because they didn't give generously. They gave reservedly. What happened to Ananias and Sapphira? They sold some property. They kept some for themselves and then presented to, to, lead, to the leaders saying, this is everything we have. We're giving it all back to you. Meanwhile, they were lying until so they were struck dead. They gave reservedly as opposed to generously. They were looking about how much they could keep for themselves about, instead of how much they could give over to God. That's why C.S. Lewis says, I don't believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule to give more than we can spare. We give generously. It's not about how much we can keep. Because that's not cheerful. It's about how much we can give. We give generously. Thirdly, thirdly, we give humbly. Humbly. For those of us whose lives have been changed by Christ, a radical change in our hearts, we give humbly. Matthew 6, 1 through 4 says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do... You will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be a secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's a figure of speech. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't let everybody see what you're doing when you give. It's a matter of being humble. That's the way the, the world gives differently, don't we? If you've ever been to any fundraising dinners or, or banquets, the world fundraising techniques are totally different. They would say, uh, listen, if you want to give to a certain cause or, or, or a, a certain organization... Uh, for $1,000, you can get a 2-inch by 2-inch plaque with your name on it. But for $2,500, you can get the 4-inch by 8-inch plaque with your name and all your family members on there. But if you want the gold package, for $25,000, you can get an 8 by 10 frame with your picture, a name plaque, and it lights up and sings the Hallelujah Chorus every time someone walks by. That's fundraising techniques. Why? Because they want to point to what you've done, how much you've given. Look at me. And so people can give and say, hey, look, look at how much I gave. It's totally different when we talk about how we give God's way. We give humbly. We give humbly. We give humbly. It's not about showing off how much you've given. I was at a church once um, (laughs) growing up and... uh, I always remember, I hope our ushers won't uh, uh, model this, but we had an usher where every time we would, uh, when he was ushering, would come forward for the offering, and uh, he would come forward, I always remember this, even as a child seeing this, and the, the pastor would pray for the offering, and then he would turn around, face the congregation, put down the offering plate, open up his jacket pocket, pull out a huge envelope, and stick it in the offering plate, and then proceed to take up the rest of the offering. 
I don't know if the big envelope meant there was a lot of money in there or something, but he made sure everybody saw that he was giving. That's not a humble way of giving. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, Jesus says. Why? Because we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, not here on earth. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We give humbly. It's a matter of the heart. Thirdly, fourthly, fourthly, we give systematically. Systematically. We've got to give systematically. 1 Corinthians 16.2 says, On the first day of each week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Save it up so that when I come, no collections have to be made. In the old days... People didn't have banking, so when they came home with their, with their, their, their paychecks, they would store all their money, they would, they would just kind of stick it all on the table, and they would divvy it up to where it had to go. Where it had to go. We need to give systematically. Maybe you don't, get, maybe you don't give on a, on a weekly basis, maybe it's a monthly giving, but either way, it needs to be systematic. You see, what happens is people end up getting, giving haphazardly or sporadically. Some people don't give or pledge with any consistency at all. That doesn't help the church plan. And it doesn't also, make a, it doesn't also help us be good stewards. The other fear when you do a, a stewardship series like this is that people ca- get caught up in the emotion. That's why I made sure that we say we don't give out of guilt. Because a lot of people, a lot of people have this overwhelming sense they have to do that. And so they, they get caught up in the emotion and they, they, write on their, they write on their pledge cards that I'm going to give 90% of all my income to the church, but by February it's all exhausted by that point. I tell you, church, we do have to give systematically. It's a biblical approach to giving. First day of each week, each one of you should set aside some of money in keeping with his income. In keeping with his income. So how do we give systematically? Now that we understand the heart, how we give, how much do we give? What does systematically actually look like from a biblical perspective? Well, first thing, three things. First off, we have a duty to set aside money to pay our taxes. We have a duty to set aside money to pay our taxes. Jesus talked about this. In Matthew 22, they were talking about, about the, the money to go to Caesar. And Jesus says, show me a coin. And he says, who's on that coin? They said, well, Caesar. And they said, give to Caesar. What is Caesar's? Many of us struggle with paying our taxes because we don't like maybe what the government's going to do with the money. I tell you what, church, that's not, that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. So we do systematic giving. That's what Jesus said to those people then. We have a duty to pay our taxes. We have responsibility under that authority. We are all under that authority. And that is is a certain amount that we have to give. So we have to plan for that. The second thing is we have a duty to set aside money to care for our homes. We have a duty to set aside money to care for our homes. So when we're looking at systematic giving, when we're looking at figuring out what we need to spend our money on each week or each, each month whenever we get paid, we have a duty. We have to pay our taxes, then we have a duty to take care of our home. 1 Timothy 5.8. 
A very strong verse. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Therefore, we need to put aside those things. We have obligations to pay our taxes. We have an obligation to care for our home. So we need to plan for things like that. It's biblical. As we get older, we need to plan for retirement. And things like honor your father and mother, which is a commandment, which is one of the things that Jesus just said here. We need to honor our father and mothers. We just talked about that a few weeks ago. We need to plan for that. Sometimes as our parents get older, we need to plan financially to care for them. We need to do that. It's a biblical way. We can't just say we're going to give all our money to the church and say, Mom, Dad, sorry. Can't honor you because that's not biblical. And that's not what Jesus is teaching. We have, to, we have a duty to pay for our home, to care for our home. The problem is, and this is where it gets a bit of a gray area, is that we often think that certain obligations in our home are obligations when they're in fact luxuries. When they're in fact luxuries. That's the issue. That's where the gray area comes into play. We think that we need to have certain things, a certain way of life, a certain kind of car, a certain kind of house, a certain kind of finances, a certain kind of clothes, a certain kind of entertainment. And we say, you know what? Those are absolute 100% obligations. When in fact, some of those are more luxuries. So we have to understand that. We have to think about it when it comes to our home. When we're setting aside money for our home, which things are really obligations? Which things are, are luxuries? Which things do we really need? Which things can we live without? The other issue on the, on the flip side of this is that, you know, some people say, well, you know what, I need to save up for retirement or I need to save up to honor my parents. And they'll put everything that they can away, which is good. And they say, well, I don't have any money left over to give to God. Well, that's not biblical either because there's a lack of trust. So Philippians 4.19 says, and my God will meet all our needs according to his riches and glory. We need to be able to trust God with our finances, knowing that you know, he's given to us exactly what he wants us to earn. He's asked us to give a certain way. We have a duty to pay our taxes. We have a duty to care for our home. And finally, we have a duty to give to God. Deuteronomy 14 says, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all your fields that you produce each year, each tithe of your grain, new wine, and olive oil, and the firstborns of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose at the dwelling for his name so you may learn to revere your Lord your God always. Set aside a tenth of all your fields produce each year. That's key. Notice it says produce each year. We need to understand how much we're we're making to be able to adjust that each year. Because a lot of people will, will give the same way they've been giving 10 years ago. And it doesn't reflect their current income. The Bible says, be sure to set, a ten, uh, set aside a tenth of the field that you produce each year. If you look at the, the Old Testament, actually, the giving was much higher than 10%. It's actually in the, like the 20% because they were giving to the temple and the widows and all these things were, were split up. That's why Ken Hughes says it's strongly recommended in light of the, the great giving requirements imposed by God's ancient people, Israel, that everyone should at least consider the first 10% as a, a starting point, a minimum. We need to give back to God. Why? Because he's given to us. And we need to do it in a systematic way. If we started to do that, especially for some folks in here that are in the younger generation who aren't used to giving, I'm going to encourage you to start doing that now. Just set it aside and say, you know what, this is for God. This is for the church, for ministry to continue to happen. And you won't notice it not being in there. 
My wife and I have been at this church for 14, 15, 15 years. We've been giving faithfully ever since then. But we don't miss it because it, it's something that we know that's just where that goes. Give to the church. And there's different ways to giving. That's why we have the kiosk. That's why we have the Secure Give app that you can give online. So it can be just, just a natural thing that happens every week or every month. We're trying to set it up for you as easy as possible. So it won't become a burden to do so. I love what 1 Corinthians 16.2, we've already read this, but the New Living Translation says, On every day, on every Lord's Day, each of you should put aside something from what you have earned during the week and use it for this offering. The amount depends on how much the Lord has helped you earn. Don't wait until I get there and try to collect it all at once. The amount depends on how much the Lord has helped you earn. I have to understand that we are stewards of what God's given to us. And we have to give according to our means. But understand that God's gifted us, given us the ability to be stewards of that money. So we need to determine how, what we should give based on what we're earning today and we currently have. And it should adjust accordingly. Like many of you are, have pension plans, it, it adjusts according to your pay. Many of us are locked into a, system way, a systematic way of giving. The same way over the past number of years. And we've settled for mediocrity, not generosity. Others look at how much they could keep as opposed to how much they could spare. Our present giving should reflect present resources for which God has blessed us with. So how do we give? We give God's way. First of all, it's a matter of the heart. And I tell you that if you're in here right now, you don't know the Lord is your personal Savior. I'm telling you right now, I can't tell you how much I would want you to have that. Pastor Barry, the other pastors at our church, would want you to have that more than anything else. You may come in here asking the same question the man asked. How much, Lord? What else do I need to do? It's not about what you can do. It's what Jesus has already done for you. And once we have a radical transformation in our hearts, an inward transformation, we have the outward action where we can give cheerfully, generously, Humbly and systematically. We do that because of how much God has already given to us. The fact that he sent his son and died for us. We give freely back to him. That's why Sam Storm says, our giving to God is but a reflex of God's giving to us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for what we can learn about in your word. Father, as we, many of us are struggling with, with our finances and our money, we think of that often as our God, Father. We put that before you, Father. We ask for forgiveness in this area. Father, pray that we can turn from that, Lord, and put you first and foremost in every aspect of our life. Father, thank you for the fact that it is possible with you. Lord, help us to look to you for that, for the strength to do that, Father, so that we can really give the way you want us to give cheerfully, generously, humbly, systematically, Father. We thank you for your word and what you can teach us through it. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.